Welcome back to the show. I'm B. Dougie, and you're about to learn the secret sauce. Perfect. So, Avi, thanks so much for making the drive over the bridge. Thank you for having me. Very cool to be here. Yeah. So, uh, do you want to just let to know the audience? Let to know the audience. Let the audience know who you are and what you do. Yeah. My name is Avi Press. Um, I am a software engineer, developer, tool author, and now the founder and CEO of Scarf. I'm going to ask. What is Scarf? Because <laughs> it sounds interesting. <laughs> Actually, I know what it is, but I'd love the the uh, listeners to know. Yeah. Um, so Scarf is a platform for the distribution and analytics and commercialization for open source software. Um, so we help uh, open source projects get a better understanding of how their projects are being used, what impact it's having, what companies are using it, um, with the ultimate goal being to actually connect these projects to their end users so they can be successful, whatever that means to them. Excellent. So uh, I want to get into more of Scarf, but I actually want to get into how you got to where you are today. Yeah. So I don't know how far back. We were talking before we hit record uh, that you live in my, my old neighborhood uh, in Oakland, and uh, you went to UC Berkeley. So like, we can start there. Like, How did you get into starting your own company? What, what sort of steps you took? Yeah. Um, so after school, I was just very head over heels in love with programming generally. And so I... Um, Is that what you studied at school? Um, I, I did minor in computer science, but my major was actually c- uh, cognitive science. So I was very into... Um, like brain? Yeah. Okay. Like basically like modeling people's behavior mathematically and seeing how you can kind of inform AI models based on how people solve problems. Okay. That seems, um, seems like a very valuable thing during uh, the Cambridge Analytica days. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it, was a very, it was super interesting um, like topic of study, and I learned a lot of machine learning methods from it, got very, like, really um, honed my programming skills from doing that. Um, but after school, I definitely wanted to see, like, what being a professional software engineer was like. Okay. Um, and so I, right out of school, went to Pandora and was working there for a few oh. years. Um, and I got to do a lot of like very big data projects, which was super cool. Um, so I like got to build out their first concert recommendation engine, which was a very cool like project to get to do. And what, what year did you join Pandora? Um, I did an internship there in 2013, and then 2014 um, I started full time. Okay, very yeah. cool. Yeah, yeah. Good, good years. It's yeah. a very <laughs> mature product at that point. Yeah, yeah. It was still a mature. Yeah, it was a, it was a very mature product. We we I was really focused after that recommendation system was building a lot of tools that would help artists understand how their music was doing and like connect with their fans more effectively and just like, you know, run their business better. Um, and it seems very related to what you're doing. Exactly. Now. <laughs> exactly. So that was like the start of me thinking about like how better data sharing initiatives can help people just can help solve problems by, yeah. by sharing data better. Um, but I was also using a lot of open source. Um, and there were times where, you know, you'd, you'd hit a bug in some library, open up an issue on GitHub, and then, like, you just kind of wait and hope that the issue gets solved. But in practice, you end up finding, you know, some complicated workaround that, like, the maintainer probably could have solved for you very quickly had you had a relationship with them. Um, and so that was something that was on my mind, but ultimately I kind of tabled that, that line of thinking um, and but was really interested in startups. And so I joined some uh, early stage companies as like engineer number one it's at a startup in, in the city. And there I started building a lot of developer tools that were really mostly just for me and for what became the engineering team at, at that company. Um, and it got to the point where 
my, that, like this employer was relying so heavily on my tools, I'm like, okay, I should open source these. They'll probably be useful outside of, outside of this um, team. And that turned out to be correct. Um, and so there's like an integration test framework and then a code scanning thing, uh, <laughs> a, a, a project that managed the to-dos in your code base, basically, which is like kind of niche, but, but enough yeah, people. I, I've seen people build that. I've actually used, actually, I think I have the to-do list GitHub app Okay. Installed in one of my in open source actually today. Got it. Got it. Yeah. So this was uh, something uh, for that problem specifically geared for this company's uh, yeah. particular issues. But um, it got to the point where like my nights and weekends were just going to like maintaining these things that people at big companies turned out to be using, and I would like get you know I get an issue from someone who is at you know some big company saying like hey there's a memory leak in this server and it's really <laughs> messing with us in these ways. Um, and you know, I'm I'm a entrepreneurial person. That got me thinking, like, well, you know, if I'm providing value to a big company, I should maybe explore if I should start a business around some of these tools. Um, but ultimately, I didn't really have any of the data to actually know if that was really a good idea. Yeah. I was just kind of I was just kind of going off of a hunch on the momentum of my GitHub activity. Um, even if I knew there was a company on the other side, I didn't really like. What would I do? Like. Yeah. Sell them a support contract, maybe, if I'm lucky. Maybe I'll try to sell them a license for some other features. But like, how would or I even ask for them? a job? Maybe. Ask for a job, yeah. but that's that wasn't really my goal. So, you know, what what to do in that situation? And so, I tried a bunch of things, but ultimately, it was not a very successful endeavor to try to monetize these developer tools. Um, and I was thinking really deeply about what the problems I was facing was, and there were two main things here. So one was that as a package author on package managers, I just had a download count. That's not useful enough. I need to know, um, I need to know what companies are using. I need to know how they're using it, what versions, all these, all these kinds of things. And then I also needed a way to actually, you know, deliver a paid product in the same distribution channel that yeah. I was giving people the software already, not something off to the side. Um, and so I became obsessed with this. <laughs> like, I could not stop thinking about it. And so I wrote some blog posts. Um, it turned out other people had this problem too. And then I got started on what became Scarf to really address this, this problem of observability um, and distribution um, of open source as a, as a foundation for how can we more sustainably build businesses around open source. Yeah. So, like, I, admit, I already got the connection from, like, Pandora, what you're working on there. But identifying, like, sometimes it could be a little punk rock in open source where... Like you ship a thing, a tool or to-do app or whatever um, to make your life easier. Then someone else picks it up and it's like, cool, here's a sticker. And like open, you feel good about open source. But then when it comes time for us to like grow up and like switch our leather jackets to like, you know, maybe collared t-shirts. I'm still wearing graphic <laughs> tees. But what, what I'm getting at is like you now have to figure out how to sustain your life and your, your lifestyle and maybe get money from this. So I can see where like the evolution of like open source to... Scarf or Scarf Gateway, which we'll get in there in a moment, but someone to be, say, I want to use this tool so I can just make a decision on like where my career or this, this roadmap is going towards. Yeah, and just like understand the impact that your work has. Um, yeah. I think that, um, you know, we, we put out, we put software out to the world for a variety of different reasons, but like when it becomes so much work that like a a significant amount of your life is being spent on it. To actually be able to measure what's going on can be just so, so useful for a variety of reasons, um, business being just one of them. Excellent. So you created Scarf. It 
well, you get to you get success eventually. But how did you what did you do after you created it? How did you like how did you make it useful for developers? Yeah, it was a series of just trial and error. So like the first thing that I built was a system package manager. And that package manager would basically install programs inside of this wrapper that could do, you know, kind of basic analytics. But you could also say, yeah, if you want to use this package with no reporting whatsoever, here's how much it costs. Swipe the card and you can buy it. Uh, it was a very, like, novel idea, a very controversial idea, obviously. Um, yeah, it's like um, back in the day when I was doing, like, in college, I was doing uh, copy and pasting code. It was like share, shareware, I think. Was that the term where you, like, you could, it wasn't... That was probably open source. I, sorry, I'm like, my naivete <laughs> is really showing. But like, you'd be able to use like the free version and then like you pay for a license. And I think right, a lot of right, Adobe's right. products yeah. were like early in the years. And it's hard to do that from scratch, even today. Yeah. Like the tools are not really like, it's, there's a, like the barrier to entry to do that is actually quite high in yeah. practice, um, even for this thing that has been around for a really long time. Yeah. Um, and that's kind of part of the problem. Like there's a lot of these business models are really effective and good if you're Oracle <laughs> or if yeah. you're this giant company that can absorb these massive operational costs. But if you're just, if you're just, you know, Avi <laughs> coding, yeah. you know, at, at home, it's not, you don't have the, you don't have the accessibility to those kinds of business models really today, um, which is a shame. Okay. Yeah. So the, the sort of a uh, pay to, it, it sounds like you don't do that anymore. No. Yeah. Yeah. So that, that, um, you know, that was a very novel idea. I got a lot of feedback from it, but ultimately it, did not work. Um, it was bad because package manager is really hard to build, and there was no like to make a good production grade one that actually provided value to the end user, not just the maintainer. I needed to do so much more to to actually make that compelling. And so ultimate, and you know, obviously the the form of analytics was also very aggressive as well, and people would say invasive, I'm sure. Um, and so what ended up happening was I it seemed like we were trying to do too much all at once. And so I got to thinking, well, what's the smallest thing that I could build that would actually provide some value to developers? Um, and eventually, you know, I talked to so many developers and I eventually had a conversation uh, with Feroz, who you recently talked to. Yeah. And one of the things that was said was, you know, I just, I really just need to know what companies use this. And so I got to thinking and I was like, I could write a very small JavaScript library that would solve that problem. Um, and so I basically was just coding for like a week straight on this, put out Scarf.js into the world, um, and then uh, what Scarf.js was, all it, all it was, you just add the dependency to your package, like just you know one line in a package JSON. Anytime your package gets installed, Scarf gets installed, sends off a post install hook that just says, hey, here's the version of the package that was just installed. That's all it would do. Then we would do some IP lookups to tag it with a company, show that to you. That's it. Um, and we got a couple React, like large React projects to use it. So okay. like React Table was using it, React Query was using it, Final Form was using it, like some big libraries. Okay. Yeah. And so. And uh, I was going to say, uh, well, two of those are the same person, Tanner, and then. Yeah, Tanner Lindsay. And then Eric, yeah. who I recently just talked to at Render ATL. Oh, right on, right on. Yeah, yes. Small world. I definitely want to have them on uh, eventually. Yeah, they're but. great. I would, yeah, I would recommend. Um, and so, you know, before long, this package has, you know, quite a bit of downloads. Um, and then it was time to raise some funding. And so yeah. Um, we, yeah, from basically right as this was happening, we raised our first $2 million for Scarf, um, okay. which was, you know, was over the moon about. But very quickly, um, the end user pushback started to happen about, like, 
what it really boiled down to, it really erupted into this very large discussion in the Reactiflux uh, Discord. Basically saying, when I type npm install, I do not expect data to be sent to some third party. Yeah. Fair. Um, we were being very transparent about what was being sent. We'd print these giant console things to the console being like, here's what we're sending. Here's how you see it. Here's three different ways to opt out of it. Like, and here's who's doing it. Um, but it was, it was about those violation, the violation of people's expectations was what. Yeah, even if it was like a, I, I guess you did IP lookup, but like with the, the world that we live in, GDPR and also the California disclosure, like you weren't storing like private data or personal or PPI. No, like that. no, we would get rid of all of the PII. We still do that. We scrub IPs from our system. So, you know, we can't leak them because we don't even have them. Yeah. Um, we were doing all the right things, but it, um, it was about the vi it was about people's expectations and us not falling into that was what ultimately um, made it unsuccessful in the, yeah. in the long run. And so from those discussions, even with people who were like vehemently saying this is bad and you should not do this, um, they agreed that like, I see why maintainers need this data though. So how do we get it to them? Yeah. And so ultimately what came out of these discussions was, look, we have expectations for when data is collected about us and when it's not. If you can fit into those, great. But if you if you can't, then, you know, okay, be, be, go away. So, um, I'm, yeah. really, I'm, I'm on the edge of my seat. Like, what was the resolution? Like, what did you build to solve this problem? The first thing that we built, um, one of the questions I asked was like, so how is what we're doing different than like, you know, you go into a web page and there's like tracking pixels? Yeah. And people said, yeah, I mean, I just expect that on a web page. Yeah. We're like, okay, well. And then in like four days, I built documentation insights, which is tracking pixels for open source docs. Just throw a throw a one by one clear pixel into your readme. Now, you know, if someone loads your um, if someone loads your docs, whether it's on Docker Hub or on NPM or in their editor, they load the image and we can show that to the developer so they can know what parts of the docs are getting looked at, um, you know, what might be the most confusing, where in the world is my user base, what companies are looking at the docs, like all these kinds of things. And so everyone who kind of moved away from Scarf.js based on the user feedback, they all are using documentation insights now. Okay. Um, that, was, that was the first thing. So that was like kind of addressing it. Um, but then... What really, um, you know, kind of really got us going was then what became what is today known as Scarf Gateway, which is essentially just a redirect and proxy layer that sits in front of any package registry, any artifact registry. Um, it just gives you a new stable URL. Um, for, so say you publish um, binaries to GitHub releases. That URL is not yours, it's GitHub's. Yeah. Um, and so we basically make it really easy to give you your URL that you can share with your users. We just redirect over to GitHub releases. So it doesn't change your publishing workflow or any of that. The only difference is now you have full visibility into that traffic. Yeah. Um, and um, we got very early traction with that for Docker containers um, because right around the time we were doing this, Docker Hub started announcing their rate limits um, for anonymous What, what year accounts. was that? This was last November. Okay, wow. Um, oh, actually, no, 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 it wasn't last, uh, sorry, this was the November before, yeah, a year, uh, yeah, so yeah, yeah 20, November of 2020. Okay. Um, yeah, oh, time is really flying by. Uh, these in, in this age, yes, it's, <laughs> yeah. it's a really weird time. Yeah, yeah. Um, and you know, it had it had a lot of companies like wanting to switch off of Docker Hub somewhere else, but they couldn't because everyone is locked. Like everyone's, you know, 
downloading the image directly, which is implicitly Docker Hub. Yeah. So there's the switching costs. And so a lot, had a lot of people move, wanting to move back and forth, and now we give you a nice stable URL that's yours. You can connect your own domain. And so if you don't even like Scarf at the end of the day, it's on your domain. You can, you, know, you can do whatever you want with it. And that's really built into what we do. We don't want a lot. We, if you use Scarf, it should be because we're providing you a good product, not because you are locked into it and you can't leave it. Yeah. Um, and I think a theme to what we do is making sure that our incentives align with maintainers' incentives. Yeah, and that's honorable, but also makes sense because like you, you were trying to solve a problem for yourself, trying to solve a problem for Feroz, and then you even took the time to listen to the, the end users who were just like, yeah, this is not cool. And I, I totally get that. I, I, I am definitely on the side of like, ah, it wasn't really personal information. But I do get the expectations of like yeah. where most people think of open source and how you interact with node packages. Yeah, I, I think I've learned that if people care enough about the problem to, you know, be very, very critical of what you're doing on the internet, they're actually giving you some of the best feedback often. Yeah. Um, and by kind of just struggling through uncomfortable conversations with them, you learn quite a lot. Yeah. Um, and you know, those conversations were brutal at the time to have. Um, but, you know, I think it was really illuminating. And I think part of what Scarf is doing is kind of taking the, kind of taking that, absorbing that social risk of trying things that may be very unpopular. Um, because ultimately, I think um, the open source community has not really reckoned with a lot of these, like, economic incentives that are in play here. Yeah. And by someone's got to eventually be very explicit about them. Um, and so we're kind of trying to be that agent to like, you know, we'll try and figure out what works with analytics and open source, something that has been traditionally very yeah. adamantly hated um, and showing, look, there's actually really, really good value here and it can be done properly. Yeah. What do you think about the, taking a step away from the, this conversation for a sec, well, Scarf in, in particular, the broader conversation around open source and like this evolution that's happening. Like yeah. We're seeing more... VC-backed companies that are solving problems in open source. Uh, we're also seeing like even more solutions that are even changing how we even think about open source. Like GitHub Sponsors is one that comes to mind, but like Open Collective was before the entire lift. Like we now think about how payments or how to even pay open source maintainers differently. Where before it was like, you this is the code that you wrote for me. Thank you so much. Um, here's a pat on the back, or maybe a star. Yeah. And um, be on with your the rest of your day. And good luck if I open up issues or even like contribute back. But now the mindset's shifting. At least the new wave of developers. Yeah. Like, they're now expecting. Oh, I can actually contribute back. There's an approachability thing. So, like, do you think that you're you're shepherding a, a portion of that movement? But at the broader, you think there's more folks who are now interested in open source and as a as a uh, avenue to grow teams, company, culture, code? I definitely, I definitely think so. Um, I think, oh man, a lot of thoughts on this. I mean, one, one aspect is just that the more, the more we uh, improve the open source sustainability story, yeah. the, the, uh, the more inclusive open source can really be because, you know, the, the reality is not everyone has the, you know, the resources to work on stuff for free, especially for, yeah. you know, giant companies. And if you can enable people like that to build a sustainable business, then, you know, more people can then get into open source, which is great. Um, and I think the other thing, especially with like the, you know, things like, you know, this observability and the data, um, the, 
the, the data side of this is that um, we've seen kind of an increase in the appetite for commercializing as well when people actually realize the impact that they have. Um, I, I love, love seeing people uh, you know, tweet like, oh my god, NASA is using my library, I had no idea. Um, and like just seeing, even if you had no ambitions to, to you know, build a large project or you know, have this huge impact, you might realize that you've been having that much more than you thought. Um, and so, I get very excited about the notion that we could kind of inspire a whole new generation of entrepreneurship in the open source space. Um, you know, I mean, ultimately, I think if you are building, if you're building useful stuff, and especially if that useful stuff is contributing to a company's bottom line, you should be getting a cut of that. Period. Yeah. Um, and that's not where we are right now, but we might be soon. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it, it's it's huge. Like, I'm thinking of like, so I did this whole talk at. Um, I, uh, it's funny, I did a couple talks back-to-back. -back. Uh, but recently, I did a talk at the Nexus Conf, which is Orbit, orbit.love. Nice, it's their yeah. URL. Uh, they have a product. Uh, definitely leverage it. Check it out. Uh, but I spoke at the conference about growing open source community and how there's like a system that you could sort of plug yourself into. And I made the analogy of like the system in the NBA. So like the minimum salary for the NBA, you know the minimum salary? For I don't. No, I have no idea. It's 925000 so just as one small 12th man on the team, so you're, like, you're not starting, you probably don't even like, take off your, your warm-up suit to even play during the game, but you're just like on the end of the bench, $925,000. So like, your impact is definitely worth it because when you're practicing, like, you're giving everybody a good look. Maybe you get put in if like, the team's getting squash or whatever, but like, you're on the team. Right. So when it comes to like, everybody who's on that bench, including assistant coaches, everybody's getting a, a piece of the pie, whether it's a super small piece or whatever. So what I'm getting at with open source is like, like you can make yourself like valuable in a release. Are you like, the thing that I, I see all the time, like React has said React 18 and Vue had Vue 3. There's always a tweet that's like, hey, try it out in your company project and give us feedback. And like majority, it's like crickets. Uh, it, you would think for such a, such a popular project, you'd get for such a pop, I just tapped the mic, but anyway, <laughs> for such a popular project, you'd get way more feedback and right. way more interaction from folks, but it's not always the case. Yeah, good feedback's really hard to get. Really yeah, so it's like even like, I don't know if this is something you're even paying attention to as, as like a persona or something to look at, but like identifying people using your, your project and then saying, hey, we would love to have like a inner circle or a MVP program or most valuable free customers yeah. to be able to say, hey, I just want my release to get used before it goes live so that way we don't have complaints. <laughs> That's super valuable. Yeah, and I think that um, one of the things with when it comes to like you know, open source community building generally is that there's a huge like squeaky wheel effect where just the people who are really loud yeah. get, you know, they, they have tremendous sway over a project direction when in practice that I think is often very, very suboptimal for the project. There's so many people who just use open source quietly. <laughs> you know, they, they're just coding on their laptop and they download some random tool and they use it and they never interact with the project because they might not need to. Like the, yeah. the tool might just do what they need. Um, and so I think, you know, when we constrain the way we think about the community, as just the people who are like directly engaging, you're probably only getting the very, very tip of the iceberg. Um, and I think that if we empower maintainers to have a better understanding of that user base, you can get, you know, 
you get maintainers that can be more effective with their time. Yeah. They can more a uh, adequately, you know, address their user base's needs. And, you know, ultimately that means that they can be less burned out because <laughs> yeah. they can work more efficiently. Well, it's the, uh, it's like, um, it, 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 Facebook does it with retargeting and ads and yeah. Google AdSense. It's, it's whatever you've seen last is usually the thing you purchase. Right. So like you, you validate yourself by just, Actually, are you wearing Allbirds? Uh, no, no, okay. I'm not. These are uh, Adams. Adams, okay. So, <laughs> sorry, I was going to say like Allbirds. Like yeah. I had a moment where on Instagram, every ad I had was Allbirds. So like, mm, oh, you know, yeah, I should yeah. probably try this shoe. <laughs> and uh, like, it's, it's so many different things. Like everybody's using, wearing the same weird uh, TikTok uh, leggings. Yep. Because they constantly, it's in your face. You're like, oh yeah, this is what I should be wearing. These effects are really huge. And it's the same in like the music space too. Like pretty yeah. much people want to listen to the same hundred songs. Yeah. And the more you hear it, the more you like it. Until are you, you get are you tired a TikTok of it. user? I am, yeah. Yeah, so it's like, it's funny because <laughs> how many songs I don't know, but I, I know. Yeah. Because I hear the seven seconds and I'm like, yeah. oh yeah, no, 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 Oh, there's a whole song after this. So. Yeah, and then you hear it on the radio and you're like, ah, what, what, what came first? I don't really know what got first. Yeah, and it's, it's yeah. amazing how it's just like, you got to do stuff too. And we were just, we were talking talking about before we hit record about marketing and stuff that we do to engage community and stuff like that and the experiments you've been doing but like it, it comes down to like knowing the knowledge the data is powerful too as well but like once you have that data then you have to sort of have action oh yeah that. it, that's just the it's just the beginning like just understanding who is there is just the very yeah. very start so i mean understanding who is there which is the i think scarf so your competitive edge like being able to know that so we I don't know if we actually even touched, we touched a bit on the gateway. Can you explain like what Scarf Gateway, like what people are using today? What are the, like the, the heavy hits? Yeah. Um, so with Scarf Gateway, you know, again, we can make it so that instead of say, you know, Docker pull, you know, gcr.io slash image, it's Docker pull your domain.com slash your image. Um, and as soon as that poll goes through, you'll know where in the world it came from, what version was downloaded, you know, what runtime was being used, what company they worked at, all these kinds of things that can be very, very useful and actionable. Yeah. Um, and if, especially if you're, um, if you're building a business to know this company just tried it for the first time on Monday and you know who to get in touch with by Friday. Um, like so that's, it's, it's almost like the, um, and forgive me if this is like too contrived example, but like kind of like the bit.ly links for... Yeah, 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 yeah. I think like a um, and yeah, you're not and that that's uh, an often made analogy that it's it's very much like you know link shortening, but specifically in the package management context or the artifact uh, downloading context, but just for open source that it plays yeah. nice with the existing tools, um, and ultimately, you know, gives open source maintainers more control over their distribution. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That that is genius and. Um... Yeah, and it sounds like a, a a lot of so our companies they're they're open arms now with Scarf as well. Or is it? Are you really focused on the maintainer experience at the moment? Um, we're 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 addressing both. I would say so. There's definitely a lot of um, companies that are using Scarf. Um, there's just straight like open source organizations. So we're getting adopted by more like Apache projects, Linux Foundation projects. Okay. You know, from the various. Um, foundations and then just indie maintainers as well um, and I think you know our paid offerings are much more geared towards these startups and and you know commercial open source businesses um, but it's really really essential that we just become kind of the ubiquitous way to do this kind of thing in the open source space and that of course involves the indie maintainers yeah and I have to ask too as well so like you originally started scarf js to solve like for us's 
problems. Anybody who's watching this right now, if you haven't watched Frost's episode, which I believe is episode one, uh, definitely check it out. It's very good. Yeah, and um, but do you have you talked to Frost? Have you solved his problem to date? <laughs> yeah, it's funny because um, by the time like we we got around to doing it, I think like he was working on ten other things, and yeah, it didn't end as, up actually being something that he ever used, which is kind of funny. But um, I think that in terms of I just want to know what companies use my open source software. We are the way to do that today. Yeah. I think um, you know not just you know not just who's statically depending on it in their code, but who's actually downloading it on their laptops today. Yeah, um, yeah. It, it sounds like a, a super valuable integration partnership, even with GitHub or Tidelift or uh, Open Collective. Yeah, because then you could then have the sort of gateway to say, okay, here's who's using it. Here's who I could do like a sort of campaign to say, hey, exactly. Give us feedback, and then maybe we can invoice you. Yeah, um, I mean, people even use Scarf to say like, oh, Uber's using this package. Hey, Uber on Twitter, like you know, tweet Uber, yeah. you should sponsor me, and that that has worked for for uh, a handful of developers already. Yeah. just call them out publicly, saying, I see you use this. You should fund or support the project. And the thing and is, like, no one happens. knows until they ask. And yeah. if like you're able, because I've been at large companies like GitHub and other companies where we make decisions to go sponsor projects. So like one of the bigger ones that we did at Netlify when I was there was Let's Encrypt. Mm. Let's Encrypt was how we powered all auto-generated SSL. That too, with Let's and, Encrypt. Yeah, yeah, and so like Netlify made a, like they basically just went out and sponsored Let's Encrypt directly. Great. But yeah, that sponsorship with Let's Encrypt, like it, it started like a, a whole movement around people who were benefiting from Sort of the un, unseen, it's funny because I, I did like this um, sort of behind the scenes, uh, we did some triaging for open source projects that are depended by tons of people, but never, like don't get a lot of popularity. So Curl was one that comes up. Curl is, yeah. The it's like yeah, the, the premier, like sort of feature complete project that just only has one person keep the lights on. And um, Daniel uh, Stenberg was actually part of that article series, and mm. we, had, we had other people. But honestly, I need to connect you with the people at GitHub because, like, you probably have a follow-up story. Would definitely, uh, to be able to do would that definitely well. like to do that. Yeah, I would love that. Yeah, yeah, and it's, it's. I, I see so much potential, and I'm excited for the future of Scarf. Uh, I talked to like what we're working on at open source. Like, it's a it's a bit different angle where it's more about Git commits, right, as opposed to actual packages. Um, but there's an opportunity there, yeah. This is a very, very big space. You oh, know, yeah. I think like there's, um, that's why conversations like this I think are very important because like we all need to figure out ways to work together to make this stuff very effective. And so, yeah, like we're not really tackling the, the, the Git, the Git, you know, commits in the community, that, that side of things. And, we're, and that's not what we want to focus on because other people are doing it very well. So, um, yeah. and, um, yeah, it's, it's such a, it's such a big space that, I think the way that businesses in open source succeed will be very similar to how open source itself has been successful. It's just like a very pure form of collaboration, and that's how we'll yeah, that's how we'll you know continue to improve uh, as well. Yeah, for sure. And uh, I look forward to future collaboration with you. Appreciate yeah. you coming out and having this conversation. Thanks with me. so much. Yeah. And uh, folks, stay saucy. The Secret Sauce is a podcast produced in-house by Open Source, the open source intelligence platform providing insights by the slice. If you're in San Francisco and interested in being a guest on the show, find us on Twitter at SaucedOpen. And don't forget to check out OpenSauce at opensauce.pizza.